This episode is brought to you by Game of Thrones on HBO. Game of Thrones has critics raving the final season is the biggest show on TV, era-defining, and TV's greatest show of all time. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding drama series and all other categories, visit hbo.com FYC for more on Game of Thrones. Brian Tyler is the composer of over 70 films who has composed the music for such blockbuster hits as Avengers Age of Ultron, Iron Man 3, and Thor The Dark World. With the Taylor Sheridan, John Linson, Paramount Network series Yellowstone about a Montana rancher who is trying to protect his land from encroaching forces, Tyler looks to reimagine the Western musical genre. He's here with us today on Crew Call. You wrote the Universal theme. I did, yes. Okay. Yeah. Have you heard? I'm bringing. I'm, I normally don't begin. I usually begin on a very <laughs> official note, yeah. never a funny note. But have you heard the thing on YouTube of someone playing the oh, theme on a recorder? It's like a yeah. It's the horrible yeah. recorder version. Yeah, that's my favorite. That they, they kind of they've gone around and done that to a bunch of the. I think there's a. Fox one as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that stuff. In fact, there, that guy has he does covers of like Slipknot songs and all sorts of record. That it's so funny. Like I got addicted to that channel for a while, that YouTube channel. <laughs> so, so before we talk about Yellowstone, tell me, tell me about your your path here, going from yeah. Harvard to your first films, sure, um, on a Marvel. Yeah, so. It's been quite a journey. Uh, you know, after, it, it was even, you know, before then, I was just always writing music since I would read books, science fiction books and whatnot, and I would write music to it. Um, I don't know why. It just it was one of those things that I loved to do. Listen, I was a huge fan of, you know, Morricone and, and uh, John Williams and on and on. And so by the time I was really putting myself through school, um, which was not in music, uh, thinking I would never make a nickel, you know, in music. So I was just, I was just doing gigs to get by, and I would play in orchestras. I'd play in bands. I was a session drummer, guitarist, cello, anything I could get, you know, my hands on. And so then, by the time I had, you know, I jumped into it with some movies early on. I got I was very fortunate. Um, some music that I did that was just concert work with the, um, it was a requiem that I'd written. A director loved it, and he wanted to put it in his movie. And so all of a sudden it was seemed like I was, oh, there's this piece, sounds like score-ish. It's very big. And uh, I, there was enough trust there that then that led to uh, scoring some mov movies early on and, and uh, doing a movie called Frailty, which was an independent movie. And then William Friedkin heard that and he said, why don't you do this movie over it called The Hunted and then Richard Donner heard that and then all of a sudden Spielberg heard that one and I was doing Eagle Eye and it, it just one thing led to another and and I can connect the dots you know from that piece that I did early on all the way to today very deliberately but I think of one of those little connective <laughs> you know uh lines had been broken I don't know if I'd be here you know so Wow. Been, I've been very fortunate. So when you were at UCLA, did you do anything with music? Yes. Because there uh, was, was Jerry, was yeah. Jerry teaching there? Yeah. So yeah, for me, I was actually at UCLA history uh, and, um, and philosophy. So I, you know, but it was my hedge. I was, I loved academics. I loved kind of, uh, I was just very, I, I was heading down that path, but at the same time I was in the music department constantly and you know one thing they had piano rooms p practice rooms i could practice my piano could jump on the drum set so i ended up in the orchestra and the jazz bands and i was doing uh 
I was playing, um, you know, on records then as a studio musician. Uh, and so it was, it was the way I could pay for things, you know? So there was a lot of music going on during that time, but it, it, in a, and I would write on my own. I just would write chamber music and you name it really into electronic music, but also orchestra and hip hop and metal. I was in a metal band. It was, I was all over the place. So really I was in their jazz band, world music did, uh, uh, I was in a gamelan orchestra, you know, <laughs> just anything I could kind of dive into. I, I loved being surprised by not knowing how to play something. And, and that lasts to this day. So after all of that, it was just kind of that background um, and being peripherally involved in the music department that everyone thought of me as a music major. They'd see me at Schoenberg Hall, you know, oh, Brian, but no, that was, I was not, I was an imposter. <laughs> I was in the wrong. I was. Uh, I was. I was uh, invading their music space. But I, look, it was a, fan, it was a fantastic place. Same with Harvard. Uh, they they were really nice enough to let me use their instruments and learn. You know, while I was studying other things. So you went. What did you go to Harvard for? Harvard. I went and for my master's degree in in his, yeah in edu in education. Okay. Actually. And uh, and so at that point I was, you know the I was able to kind of divide my time still playing sessions that now out in Boston and I would record and then hanging out at the music department there too which they were nice enough to give me well I'm not sure how I got a key I don't remember how I got the key I think I copied someone's key <laughs> <laughs> but anyway and then I was over at Berkeley School of Music not just on you know I just go I had friends there you know and I go and hang out and it was I just look I was I've always been addicted to music and so no matter what I was doing in my life I'd find a way to shoehorn that in and so by the time I um uh graduated really that piece that I had written was then performed in Boston that chamber piece the, the Requiem I'm sorry and um very lucky that that happened. And somehow that piece uh, made its way back through, um, uh, there was something going on with John Williams and he was at Tanglewood or something. But anyway, I got a call from, you know, Gorfein Schwartz and Mike Gorfein and, and why don't you come out to LA and, and we'll talk. And and I was just doing music, and and all of a sudden, I found myself with an agent and and scoring films before I knew it, and and um, and a lot of what I did as a kid, you know, I just enjoyed. I was such a fan of books and comics and sci-fi and uh, you name it, and Marvel. I was a big fan of so and Star Trek, and so it was very wild to then have ended up scoring Star Trek and Iron Man 3 and Avengers and all these things because they were things that I, as a kid, you know, um, would read and watch and collect. So the, the line between fan and artist is a very, very thin one. And then going to these bigger projects, yes. the key to success is flexibility. Yes, there is. You got to deliver. Mm -hmm. um, you have to, you, you quickly find out the, the career of a film composer is you. Have they to be, want you, but you, it's, it's a give and take. It has to be a prolific type of thing too, because there's so much that needs to be written. Uh, you know, thousands of pages of music uh, and you, it needs to be on tap. And, and that's when you discover kind of where you land. Is it something that you really love the grind or, you know, you maybe want to go do something else. And 
And it's commerce and art meet in so many ways and always have from the painting of the Sistine Chapel to, you know, to now. I, I, I'm i very aware that I'm only a few, yeah, well, uh, a few hundred years difference, generations difference from being the court jester, you know, and where the someone's going to pay for our dance, you know, and, and, and so I, I understand that, that, that this is a business, but I, I always, at the end of the day, I'm going to put my name on something that I believe in. And, um, and I'm very upfront about that. And, and so I've been fortunate that there, these two things have met up in my life in a way that has worked. And, um, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. So Yellowstone. Yeah. The opening shot. Oh my goodness! He shoots a horse. Yeah. How do you? How do you? Tell us about the challenge in scoring yeah. that. Okay. So a very emotional moment. It is, it, the, the, yeah, you, that sets the table for what you know is yet to come. Yeah. You know, Yellowstone is such um, a study in human, uh, you know, tragedy and love. You know, and the, how closely related they are. We live in the gray. You know, the the. The uh, the heroes can be villains and the villains can be heroes and 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 it sets that up right at the beginning and the idea of doing something about this story the Dutton family who maybe has all the good intentions in the world but boy once you know as good intentions you could have things can go wrong and and it can haunt uh, the ones you love and so the music there had to kind of say this is this is melancholy that we're we're in a gray area um like even as we are in our own ways in our own lives and uh that that's really a symbol of kind of the rest of the show and and doing things that that are morally ambiguous and complex and that's what kind of can weigh on your heart later you know you, he's thinking about what he just did he had to do it but oh, it's killing him you know he loved that horse, right? And uh, and and it just keeps on going. The the stories with his family and his his sons, and it's just the the music there for me. And Taylor Sheridan, who's a great director and writer, whom I I really adore. He he wanted something that was different than music of the West as we know it. Uh, the the kind of tropes of music that's brilliant, but you but. Aaron Copeland. Copeland was. I was just about to say, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Aaron Copeland, or even down to Aaron Ennio Morricone, and in the different kinds of westerns. And and my idea was, you know, even though this is in a modern setting, let's make this feel mythological and and has age to it musically. Nothing modern. There's no synthesis. There's no computers involved. It's it's done with live music and 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 guitars. instruments, yeah. guitars and cellos and violas and violins and fiddles and. You know, and dobros and chimbalums, on and on and on. Anything live, captured with a microphone, with the beauty of human error built into it for players. The thing was is that we know as old West music and movies and whatnot, or even just old West music. Kind of, we know banjos and fiddles and whatnot. That music is just imported music from the immigrants that came over here. The ones that that needed to leave, for instance, Ireland, and and, and come over here to to a new land they would bring their these weren't the wealthy people these are the people that didn't have a nice Stradivarius violin these had people that had things that we now know as a fiddle they they would come across the hurdy-gurdies all sorts of instruments to entertain themselves 
riding across the plains to find a home, they would play these instruments that maybe were refined in Europe or in, in, in even in the Middle East and in China and different places and became kind of um, humble and simplified and uh, here. And that's what we know as Old West. So I studied more kind of uh, medieval and uh, music from the areas of which we all came from as Americans. And that's that's the style of the writing. So it sounds slightly older in a way, has a more of a history to it. I don't know if that resonates it, it, to the mind, but to the subconscious, I think it somehow in our DNA it does. For me, yeah. it 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 was related to a Western, but it had its it was unique. Right. Yeah. And I could understand. And I was going to talk about the whole, you know, just the genre of, of all the music, you know, of all musical genres. Western. We right. have a, a we have something distinct, in our head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember talking with Hans about this on the Stallion of Cimarron years ago. Sure. And I'm like, well, why didn't you go for something Copeland? Right, and right. And he says, I wanted to make a rock and roll Western. Right, <laughs> he right. He was very, very... Yeah, yeah. He's very... He wanted it to be completely different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and it's like there, there's a relation to it in the sense that you hear stringed instruments that are... But but it it sounds more kind of chambery. Some of it's actually kind of Eastern European, uh, you know. And I just I went and kind of looked at the 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 roots of different people coming to this country before it was even our country. Before it was the United States, we were just going to America, and it was and all these different cultures came here and distilled it down into what we know as that kind of West, and then it influenced composers and in like Copeland even. And it's we're really standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. So I try to kind of jump back in time a little bit. And, and that was the writing style. That's why you hear so many solos that are are done in a way that sounds like folk music or um, chamber strings or uh, kind of melodies that are on lower strings. Like I use a lot of viola solos, which are kind of the unsung hero. You know, it's... Uh, it just it, it it be and then you notice there's not very there's not actually it was something that that a palette which was very difficult to do usually with the television show because Taylor and I really came mostly from movies and and he, he directed all ten episodes and wrote all ten that's great you never hear a director I'm gonna do the entire season right? yeah so I was I'm like I'm on board right there with you man. And it was like, we're not going to do any, we're going to do it all live. <laughs> it was all the things you're not supposed to do on a show when you don't have money or a time or anything. So we did, you know, London, you know, Philharmonia of London, Abbey Road, you know, all these things. I played a ton of instruments in my studio. And and the kind of the the challenge of it, I think, for me, make, it, was, it was pretty much an impossible challenge, how it was set up, made it so I could never reach that polished perfection i think that became part of it we would do a take of a piece with a string section and we would do maybe one or two takes beyond that these musicians are so amazing it becomes refined and polished i don't want that 
I want to keep the flaws. There are mistakes all over that score. Really? So yeah. why and, and why was that? Because I felt it was more human. I felt I, these characters in the show are so flawed. Even the ones we root for and we relate for. It, it, I, I felt the music should never achieve its final perfect state. So we would stop. I'd say, even someone in the booth after I was finished conducting, I think we need to go back. There was a little something out of tune on bar 12 and this and that, and this person entered late. I'm like, no, let's keep it. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Yeah, that's how it went. I've sat, I've sat, through, crazy. I've sat through scoring <laughs> sessions. I've yeah. sat through scoring sessions, and like, they'll keep doing, they'll do the same cut. A million times. A million times, and yeah. I'm like, and of course, I my my ear is, is yeah. my my wife is the musician, and 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 I'm like that last cut was fine. Yeah, <laughs> we well, don't need at, another cut. At a certain you point, know? the 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 soul of it, I think, starts getting rubbed out. If you polish off the rough edges, yeah, the human qualities, all of a sudden they're they've played it so many times, they kind of go into a zone, and they're not putting that heart and soul into it anymore, and. It, I don't want it to sound like it's a computer. I don't think the the goal should be trying to achieve sine wave perfection. I I, I think, I think, a, a little bit of uh, humanity, a lot of humanity left in it is is key, and that's sometimes why samples with shows it's easy use samples of of instruments. Those are so perfect and polished and tuned, and it would be like like I've said. Before, um, it, it, you wouldn't ever throw auto tune on Etta, Etta James, you know. Why would you want it to be perfectly in tune? When she like pulls those notes, that would just sound like a. So I don't know why you would do that with an orchestra, especially this where you have flawed characters. I don't know. It's just a philosophical kind of. That's you know. great. That's. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Game of Thrones on HBO. Game of Thrones has critics raving the final season is the biggest show on TV, era-defining, and TV's greatest show of all time. For your Emmy consideration and outstanding drama series and all other categories, visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Game of Thrones. So so um, let's talk about the main title theme because it's really okay. beautiful and Thank it's you. building. And it, 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 re- it has a really nice rhythm to it.
tell me tell me about that in terms of, of approaching that and and right making that, that that was an interesting one so that ended up it was one of those times where i wa- i was i watched what the rough cut was which ended up being the cut uh taylor's like here's a here's a rough cut it was amazing and i watched it and i said okay i don't there was no main title to the show it was just it was just credits go and you and there was no main title sequence and i thought you know what i need to write just music that's an impression of what I just saw. I just want to sit down and write something. And I sat down and wrote it with a cello. And I wanted it to be where you didn't necessarily need all the chords to remember the melody. I wanted someone to be able to kind of whistle it. So that that melody line is all in the cello, and I didn't use double stops. I just played it as like kind of like a singable melody, as close to the human voice as I could get, kind of as someone that someone would sing to their child, you know? Which which lullabies are very dark, you know. They they sound they're 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 very melancholy. They don't they're not really happy. Just, and but it's something it's about so it. so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it speaks directly to his kids. It does exactly. And so because I saw, I mean, you see the story of what happens with his sons and everything. It's just it's just powerful. And so I wanted to try to capture that as well as I could. So I wrote it without looking at a scene or picture, and I just sent it to Taylor, and. And I was expecting him, you know, oh, well, maybe we change this. He's like, ah, don't change it. Don't change a note of it. This is what I want. This is it. This is this is the theme. And then they made a main title sequence. And then we used that as the theme. So I didn't write music to a main title sequence. It was one of the few times it was done in reverse. That's great. So yeah. they they animated the, to, to my music. music. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And and I had, my piece was longer than that. So it was only to get it down to the running time of what would be in a show. We... We took the the first kind of verse and and B section and the bridge and put it in there. So it's kind of, but I have like a the longer version that I do in concert actually, you know, and and is on the album as well, um, that kind of expands it. But yeah, it was it was really done something by design. It's very rare that you hear that someone takes the music and engineers something around that. But that's Taylor. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about a couple moments where where you. I want to, where you believe music should go. Sure. So like, for example, um, there's a birthing calf scene. Right. You would never, but you right. do nice soft strings to it. Yes. And then there's, there's the creek fishing scene. There's some nice oh, yes, soft Oh, yes, on the piano. river, right, yeah. And then um, when Kelly Riley, we see that it's his daughter, Kevin Costner's daughter. Mm-hmm. Good to have you home segue. Yes. Some very nice strings. Just, they're just very... Tell me about your choices there. You know, it's interesting because I knew that there was a ten-show run, and I, I'd read the screen the scripts. When I was starting off with that first one, I I wanted to take advantage of the fact that I could set up themes that could be used later. It's like doing like a ten-hour movie, you know, in a sense, where usually you have to really rush into and state the whole theme right at the beginning of this character or this whatever. I could do fragments and kind of slowly earn the the theme throughout the there's there's a moment where he's looking down and his son is right next to me by a tree and he's looking down at a bird lands and and there's a little just harp flourish and just a few things there that are fragments that become by the end of even season two fully realized overtures that just four notes five notes from the beginning and there's this line drawn all the way and and there's a reason and and when you have that kind of um, 
you forum and canvas to be able to have 10 hours 20 hours of of developing all those choices that you're saying for all of those scenes at the very beginning are important to establish because they're going to come back later maybe in a bigger way maybe in a softer way you know the um the the one uh, and then and then as far as like the the birthing calf scene sure uh <laughs> tell, tell but tell me about that yeah. why did that need music yes and 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 it was very tasteful Thank you. you know. Thank you. Yeah, that was something that I felt needed to... There's definitely a metaphor there in this story. And we're, we're talking about this, this generational family story of these two families. And, um, and the idea of kind of this, uh, from pain comes joy. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a question in the beginning of the piece, but we went very kind of, um, you know ethereal and almost euphoric with with you know it's a tough thing birth right you know uh and but the, but the music spoke to kind of new beginnings and and in in and in, in a story where there are a lot of things going sideways and a lot of tragedies befalling you this is a moment that i felt i could establish a theme for the family strangely enough for the family uh that has um, hope that comes back later in other episodes that actually is a hope theme. It's not, it's not like that's the cow's theme, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's actually more of an emotional motif, late motif that, that comes back later. And it's just interesting that that was the first time that I got to set that up. What happened to be that scene. So one of the final questions we, we, we always ask is about advice that you would you give to burgeoning composers. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I think if, you, if you're a composer and wanting to be in film or TV and uh, in, in that medium, we're writing programmatic music, I think that it's interesting when I talk to really talented musicians and that they, they've, they're, they're starting out, the one thing that they know usually best, they know music theory, like, crazy they they really know it um and uh the thing that they need often really need to make sure that they don't forget if you're a film composer you're a composer but don't forget your first name which is film and uh, your tv composer tv whatever it is make sure that you know the craft and we're not talking about even film music or tv music we're talking know what how scenes are blocked and the screenplays are written and and how things are edited and what shallow depth of field is in rack focus and all these things because you're going to be talking to a director that's going to be your partner in crime you're going to be creating something together as a collaborative effort and he, they speak film they usually don't speak music so you want to speak their language so so that would be my advice to learn that excellent yeah. excellent rack focus <laughs> yeah exactly rack focus that what means. is rack focus yeah so it's it's if you if you you have a shallow depth of field and you have the camera right on someone's face and then it's then you you crank the focus and it goes to the background becomes in focus all of a sudden you rack it yeah
Excellent. There you go. Always make a yeah. Always make a crescendo when you do a rack focus. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank Thanks. you. Thank, Thank you, you, man.